Thank you, Sue. That was beautiful. How's everybody doing today? Good. We're chatty. I like that. I like when you're chatty, because when you're chatty, that means you're awake. Right? <laughs> right. Thank you, Robert. I needed somebody to answer. <laughs> All right, just a few announcements. First, we want to welcome y'all. Thank you for coming. And yes, I said y'all a second time in a row. Sorry. Uh, annual church elections are coming up May 16th. And I believe that um, membership class is tonight, yes? That's tonight. Okay, so if you signed up for that, that is tonight. Um, and if you are able to become a member, then you can vote in that election on Sunday the 16th. Um, also... Sunday school at 9.30, and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're not here, be here. We want you here. We want to uh, dig deeper into the Word of God together, and that's the best place to do it is in Sunday school. Also, we're looking for a couple of people who can help in the nursery. Um, I know that I can speak for myself in serving. It helps when we have more people in the nursery. So if you can at all um, serve in that capacity, Pray about it and uh, ask the Lord if that's something that he would have you do. And then you can call the church office if you're able to do that. And we appreciate those who have already been working in that area. We really appreciate you all. Um, let's see. I think that is all I have. So I'm going to let Julie take it over from here. Good morning. Um, just want to remind you that we do have a special speaker coming on May 9th in, um, in anticipation of possibly becoming our pastor. We have a preacher on May 9th, but in order to meet him and greet him, not on Mother's Day, we're actually setting up a meet and greet on May 8th, which is Saturday, um, from 6 to 7.30 here at the church, and you'll get a chance to um, ask questions and, um, or, well, Pastor Mike will be in charge of the questions being pat, um, asked, but if you have a question, we would like to see it um, and if you'd like to write it down and put your name on it and then um, put it either in the offering plate or put it into the, uh, get it to the church office. We do have a, a thing on the front door that you can stick it there. Um, then we can go through and make sure that we're not all asking the same question. Um, and then May 15th, we have a prayer vigil. It was just going to be super important that we're in prayer over our vote on whether this couple will be coming to become our pastor. Um, so you should already be in prayer, but as a, as a church, as a whole, we want, would like to do the prayer vigil. So inside your bulletin, there is, uh, I think it's a half or a quarter sheet of paper about the prayer vigil, and please, please um, sign up for that. All right? And then on, on that Sunday, the 16th, we will be voting um, during the service for a, a yes-no vote for this pastor and his wife. And then after the service, we'll have our normal church elections. So be in prayer for all of that, and thank you. All right. Thank you, Julie. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes, so for those of you that didn't hear, if you have questions for the pastor, uh, our secretary, Beth, will have a little sheet, another insert <laughs> for your bulletin <laughs> next week um, that you can write that question down in, okay? And as you can tell, we're, we're looking a little slim up here on the praise team, but we're ready to praise the Lord. How about you? I'm ready for the Lord today to come and be in our worship service. And I do just want to say there is a little insert in your bulletin for next week, okay? 
and I want to know what your two favorite hymns and choruses are. Today we're doing a little bit more contemporary. Next week we're going to go old school on you, okay? And then hopefully the week after we'll be all back to normal. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. Let's prepare our hearts for worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning, Lord. We are here. We want to hear from you. Father, may your Holy Spirit be in this place as we uh, prepare our hearts for worship, Father. In your name we ask these things. Amen.
praise. He is good. His love never fails. Even when we fail, he doesn't fail us. Amen. Amen. And because of his love and what he did on the cross, we are no longer slaves to our sin. We're no longer slaves to death. We're no longer slaves to fear. God has won. He has all the victory. Amen.
to praise. Yes, let's hear you, Larry. Go ahead. I was thinking about our class, too. We were talking about adoption and regeneration, and that song says it all. But also, I was reminded of something uh, that we went over with my children this week about the Red Sea and how the Israelites felt that there was no way out. They had Egyptians on this side and water on this side, on this side. but the Lord made a way. And he always makes a way even when it doesn't seem like there's any way out. So if you are facing something this morning that you feel like, I don't know how God's gonna get me through this, you watch and you wait, because he'll part that sea for you today. I am living proof. He makes a way always. Always. Praise his holy name.
verse we used to sing when I was a kid. I know many of you think that I'm still a kid. I like that. But this has just always been one of my favorite choruses. I love it. He is the name above all names. I, uh, I like that song, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear. That's a great song. And uh, maybe you've known it long enough that you've gone through a time in your life when you felt like fear was coming on, and, and you might have found yourself going back to that song. I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. That's a great time. We want to go and we want to pray, and uh, I'm glad to see each one of you out. It's a, uh, it's a nice day. 50 degrees, that's actually warm compared to where it's been this week. But regardless of what it's like out there, it's always God's house in here. And no matter what the weather, no matter the economy, no matter the troubles, uh, when we come together, we come before God in a way that we can't explain it maybe very well, but we know it. It's good for us to be a part of the house of God and to be with God's people. So let's pray. Father, in, in, in your name, we thank you that we can come and we can commit our fears into your hands and then we can rest in your peace. And Lord, if there are some fears, if there are some dreads, if there are some things coming up that we're uncertain about, this morning we give them to you. And we give to you the vote and the meeting with the pastor. We ask that you'll direct. We ask that you will guide that we will, we will sense your leading, and uh, Lord, we look towards the future with you in it and you guiding a pastor. We thank you for this time together this morning. Be with me as I open your word. May everybody hear what you direct to them, and we ask this in your name. Amen.
And can it be? I like that song. I uh, got to hear Kenneth practice this week. And what she couldn't see, and I, what I won't show you, is that in the background, I, I found myself going way back and actually directing the choir, you know. Not that I have any idea what those hand signals mean, but uh, it just, I love that song. And um, I think the, my favorite place I ever heard it, um, it was with a large gathering of pastors, and I, I believe there were over three or 400 pastors at the close of a, of a long session of preaching and singing. And uh, we, we sang this without any accompaniment, and it was just, it was just like, wow, wow. They make good songs that have made good songs for a long time. They're writing good songs now, and they continue. And the reason that we like music, I, I can't explain it, but there's something about it that connects with us in a special way, especially when you get a chance to know the words like some of you do with them. This was a pretty big week for Kenna. Um, she had her retirement reception from Ma at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. Her official day of retirement is June 2nd, uh, they have a, they, they always give a, a week off for spring break for staff to coincide with the spring break for students, but this year, no spring break for the students. We didn't want them going home and then coming back with COVID, and so they had to stay there. So they're still giving the staff a week off, and so the week before her last day, uh, we're going to be, we're going to be loading up things, moving things around because uh, we'll be moving, uh, sometime in June probably to Florida for retirement. When our DS called me and asked me about coming here, I said, I'd really like that, but you know, we're gonna only stay till about, about mid-May. And he said, that's okay, we'll take what we can do. And uh, I do know that he's always been very prompt at not allowing long delays if possible in, in between things. So we'll actually be voting uh, for a new pastor on our last Sunday. And then if that is the person who you extend a call to, and if they accept, there will be a time lag there. But you have a good DS, and there's lots of folks who will be here to share with you as needed. Uh, the reason we decided to come, even though we knew that we might have to leave before you had a pastor, was the idea that we wanted to kind of finish with a congregation that we knew more than just a few. And we've done a lot of, uh, we've done a lot of interims, but... It's, it just felt good to come back and kind of finish our ministry at a place that we know a lot of people and appreciate you. You know, um, we're going to have the meet and greet, and our DS has asked that I kind of, I wasn't going to come that Sunday because he was going to be preaching the new the perspective pastor, but he asked me if I would be here and handle the meet and greet and then take care of the, the vote. And I've done that before in other situations, and so I said, that sounds great. But uh, we do want some questions, as Julie mentioned. Now, we won't be able to, take, to give every question that you have. You, you, you know, the board has asked countless questions. And uh, we're not going to be able to have the time that they have in meetings with this pastor, online and on-site, multiple meetings. But uh, we want you to give us your questions. You can put them in the offering basket, or you can drop them by the church office. Uh, even this week, even though there's not something in the worship program. Uh, be sure and sign your name, and we'll consolidate a lot of those questions. They'll be very similar. We'll also have something to give you on Saturday night, uh, would be what, May 8th, from 6 to 7.30. We'll give you something when you come in, a 
profile of this person. And you say, why can't I know his name? Because the last time, the last time you called a pastor, there was not near the worldwide connections through the internet that there are now. And uh, we just, uh, you have to realize that this might not happen. And uh, so it needs to be kept confidential uh, for the sake of his ministry and his church where he's at now. Uh, but you will have time. We'll make sure that you can read through that. We'll introduce them. Uh, we'll be telling you some things about them. And then we'll take your questions. And uh, it'll be about an hour and a half. And I think what we're talking about is actually being in here. You'll be at, spaced out at tables. And we'll go through a time when there's uh, some conversation with the pastor. And then the pastor and his spouse will probably walk back and forth to the tables and get acquainted with each one of you just for a few minutes. Uh, it's the best we can do in COVID and it's the best we can do in the period of the internet because sometimes thoughts appear on the internet as soon as you think them. Have you ever noticed that in Facebook? You just thought about going to Hawaii and there is an ad <laughs> right there. They can read your mind. And uh, so uh, that's why we're doing that. Um, one other thing. This is the, uh, you heard that we're going to have our annual election, and that's where our officers for the coming year are elected. And let me throw out a challenge to you. Tomorrow, letters will be going out. The nominating committee met last week, and letters will be going out to people who have been nominated. It's, it's very hard sometimes to find time to work into the schedule, the extra meetings and responsibilities that come with being one of the leaders that's elected to a position. But if you've ever declined because you're kind of hesitant about the time or you just don't feel like you're qualified, um, I would like for you to give real consideration, especially this year, because I know what will happen with a new pastor. Every church has to make a decision. And that decision is, how do we meet people outside the church? Because people do not come to church for their answers to their life's questions now. They don't even think about it. It doesn't even happen. In fact, I might have mentioned this. We had a group of pastors when I was working at Mount Vernon Nazarene University uh, who were there and youth pastors and we asked them uh, some questions and one pastor told me something I'll never forget he said when my teens have a question the pastor they ask first is pastor Google because even people in the church sometimes don't especially the longer you've been with internet you look to find your answers but there's people outside the church who have driven by here as long as this building has been here and they couldn't tell you what church this was. So <clears throat> in the coming years, every church will make a decision. We'll figure out how to, how to work with the culture that we live in, or we will become absolutely ineffective in leading our world towards Christ. And so a new pastor, a new chapter, a new time, and uh, they, they, the board and other leaders and the pastor will be working together to figure out the way. Now, the thing that's going to happen is trial and error. 
Some things you just don't know until you give it a try. It doesn't mean trial, error, quit. It means trial, error, try again. And so next year, I would encourage all of you who have been nominated for various positions that it would be, it would be fantastic if each of you would, would give that consideration and make it a, a something that you say, okay, let's give it a shot. You'll be getting those nominations in, uh, sometime early this week. And then now, those of you who are uh, a part of a membership class that we've got tonight, um, I'll give you a fair warning. I'm going to ask you one thing about the message this morning. So you'll, you'll want to take notes, one thing. And it, it, it could be something that God uh, just brought back to your mind. Maybe you knew it, maybe it was different, and you hadn't thought about it before, and God brought it to your mind. So it won't be a quiz, but we're going to talk a lot more tonight about what I touch on a little bit this morning. And I want to start by saying this. When I was pastoring, uh, it wasn't unusual for people to come in with a question. Something was going on in their life. They were trying to seek God's will. And a lot of times, I just didn't know exactly what to say to them. I could give some advice, but I couldn't say for sure, this is, this is the choice you need to make. Now, if it was a question about God's will as is outlined in the Bible, very specifically, very clearly, I can say, this is exactly what it says. But if it was about a decision that they had to make, I could give advice, we could pray, but I couldn't say with certainty, this is God's will. However, this morning, what I'm going to say to you about this message is, I know exactly what God's will is for our life. And we're going to look at it. And uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, Just as he, God, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And so I think we can say for certain it's God's will for us to be holy. Now, um, you and I will never be God. In fact, we can be very holy and very mistaken at the same time. We make mistakes God does not. We can be as holy as God allows us to be, but we will never be God because we are human and uh, and, and God knows everybody's name, and the older I get, the harder it gets. And God has never forgotten my name, and he'll never forget yours. So we're not saying we're going to be God, but we can be holy as God is, and that's God's will. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. And let me just say that being holy, this whole idea of being holy, You've heard the word sanctification. You know that word. But sanctification is how God makes us holy. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. They didn't use the word sanctification in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they talked about cleansing, especially the cleansing of items that were in the tabernacle or in the temple. And they would take a, a, a vessel that was made solely for the use of worship in the altar on the tabernacle or the altar of the temple, and they would, they would wash it ceremonially so that it was cleaned up to be used in God's service. And sanctification and this idea of being holy means to be cleaned up so that we can be used in God's service. 
Our being holy is never about having perfect ability to have perfect calmness throughout everything in life because I've been sanctified, I'm holy, and now I can be perfect in my human reactions. You can be perfect in your heart as God is perfect. You can, have perf- you can live with perfect intentions as you grow in that. So we're going to talk about that today. But keep in mind, to be sanctified or be holy means to be set apart to be used by God. All right? I'm going to go back to John Wesley to talk about this. Some of you know who John Wesley is. Some of you don't. John Wesley uh, was uh, from England. He was an Anglican priest. He had an incredible encounter with God when he was a young man. And it, it pushed him to the Word, and it pushed him out into the streets, and there he, he wrestled with God's and will and God's plan, and, and he began to really focus in on this idea of being sanctified, being made holy. And so I'm going to uh, use his description. He said being sanctified is like the three stages that go on in a healthy marriage. And so we're going to look at those. And there are three stages of a relationship in a healthy marriage, and he, he uses those to explain this idea of sanctification. The first stage is often engagement. I mean, you're, you might be dating, you might know each other, you might have a lot of things in common and, and like hanging around, but there comes a point when you declare your, your intentions and, and you say to the world, we are getting married. Stage one is we declare our intention to follow God just like with the engagement period, that you declare your intentions for your spouse. In Hebrews 2.11, it says, The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. When we accept God into our lives as our Savior, we, we turn our lives over to him, We are adopted into his family, and he separates us for himself. And I am declaring, and God is declaring, I'm declaring, I am turning towards God. And God declares, they are my family. And so it's that, that period of declaring something. And so we call, at least John Wesley called, this initial sanctification. Because sometimes people say, well, you get sanctified and you're holy. When you, when you're, you get saved and you get saved, you know, you're, you become a part of the family of God, but you get the Holy Spirit when you're sanctified. No, you get the Holy Spirit when you're born again. And you also get him when you're, when you're, when you're made holy. And you also get him throughout each day of your life. You get all of God when you're born again. <laughs> so you get all of the Holy Spirit, all of Christ. But... Uh, during this time, this initial sanctification, this salvation, it's when you declare your intentions. So when, what's your story? When did you turn to Christ? What was the going on in your life? I was a sophomore in high school. Very, very quiet. Very backwards. And I grew up in a church that had altars where a lot of people would come and make decisions for Christ. I would not go to the altar I feared more, at that stage in my young life, I feared more going to the altar than I did going to hell. <laughs> I just wouldn't take God. I just couldn't go to God because I thought I had to do it at the altar. But then 
that disappeared, and I realized I could find Christ anywhere. And so one Saturday night, when I was 15, we were watching a football game, college football game. One of the players was really hurt. And the commentators began to talk about the people who had been hurt playing football and how some people had actually died. And uh, kind of a gruesome thought. Went to bed with that thought on my mind. I could not go to sleep. And um, the, th the question that went through my mind was, if that football player died, would he be ready to meet God? And then I had to say, no, I'm not ready to meet God. I knew that as a 15-year-old. And so I got my dad up, who happened to also be my pastor, and uh, we prayed, and that was the beginning. That was the beginning of that. But after the engagement, what happens? The wedding ceremony. And uh, it's a stage of commitment. And we, with, with this second stage, we express our commitment to be holy. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, well, actually, I'm just going to read verse 1 now. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, his mercy to save us and to make salvation available to us and to give us his grace. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he was writing to people who were part of the family of God. The letter of Romans wasn't written to anybody who lived in Rome. It was written to people who were part of the family of God. And he said, you, now you've, you've found that. You've declared your intentions. I want you to take it further where your commitment is so much that you will say to God, I will be a living sacrifice for you. I'm going to give you everything I have. Now, can you give God everything when you first come to Christ? Yes, you can. But most people, they don't understand all that when they come to Christ. They're coming for the forgiveness of their sins, and their intention is to give him everything, but they don't understand what everything is until they begin to walk in the Holy Spirit, and this, and this, and this. That's a big everything. And so Paul says the way to do that is to give your body as a living sacrifice. Now think about that. Sacrifices were common in the Old Testament. Anybody who gave an animal to God as a sacrifice, they never took it back because they couldn't. See, this is the kind of commitment we're talking about. A commitment that's so deep. Now, you can take it back. You can take it back. But a commitment that's so deep that you are saying, I will give my, my life as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice means, well, I'm not, you're not going to kill me, God, but wherever I live, I'm going to act as if I am all yours. And the commitment. And then... Uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so this is the second stage of sanctification, which is entire sanctification. And again, I can only tell my story, but I'd love to hear yours sometime. For me, uh, there was a gap, not long gap, seemed long at the time, but between 15 and 
18, not very long, unless you're a 15 year old. <laughs> and then it seemed like a long time. And uh, when I was uh, 18, I was a freshman at college, at Mount Vernon National College at that time. We had an evangelist that some of you have probably heard of, a guy named Steve Manley. And um, he had, he was, he, Steve Manley would take uh, one book and preach in it for years. And he would take one verse and speak on it for a week. And I thought, how does he do that? That's because he studies and he, I mean, he's an intense study and he finds things and figures these things out. Well, it was at uh, Mount Vernon First Church of the Nazarene. And uh, he was, he was uh, preaching. It was a weeknight meeting. And it must have been a Friday night because um, my roommate and I had asked some girls to go with us to the revival. That was... That was the way, that was, you know, that was your big date, take them to a revival or something like that. And I don't even remember who I asked. It wasn't obviously Kenna. She wasn't at school yet, or I would have asked her, of course. But I don't know, I don't know who it was, but at, at, that, at that time, he was preaching from Romans 12, 1 and 2 and some other places, and he talks about how when this living sacrifice is, he says, your life before this, you do this, is like a glove, but there's no power where God can take that and, and, and put himself in that until you make that sacrifice. And says so the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and that's where you get this idea of what it's all about. And um, I went forward, even though, even though I had already accepted Christ, it was really hard for me to come forward, because I was so backwards. I went forward, and see, here was the hang-up. Here was why I knew I hadn't given God everything. Because just prior to my senior year in high school, I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. And, I, and my reaction was, this cannot be from God. This has to be from Satan. Because God knows I'm just too backwards to do this. Um, I don't know if it's ignorance or prematurity, I don't know. But at that time, in that, before my senior year in college, I said, God, if this is you, change things so much that in a year I'll know it's you. And that was in October of my senior year. I forgot about it until October of my freshman year in college. And I was still a quiet guy, but not so bound up by my inhibitions. And I could see things that were happening in my life. And I said, oh God, that was you. Thank you for the changes, but I'm not gonna be a pastor. I wanted to be an eye doctor. I had, I had no idea why I wanted to be an eye doctor, but just because they weren't pastors. And uh, so I told people, I'm going to be an eye doctor. I don't think my calculus professor kind of believed it because I wasn't getting the grades. I wasn't bad. But to be, you know, to, in pre-calculus, if you're doing, if you're struggling to get a B, that's not a good sign if you want to be an eye doctor. I always thought they said, is it this one or this one? I didn't know there was any more to it than being an eye doctor for that. God did, and he was calling me, and I said no. And uh, I didn't turn my back on God. But that's what it meant for me to be a living sacrifice. So my roommate knew I was going to be an eye doctor. 
uh, whoever this girl was that I'd asked to go, I don't even know who he asked, uh, whoever they were, somebody, I think it was the girl that he asked, said, Michael, what, what's your major? Because that's the question everybody in college asks. What's your major? And I said, well, it's, uh, it's pre-optometry, but I'm going to change it, and I'm going to be a pastor. And my roommate, who was rather um, different than I was, uh, I was very quiet. He was very much, you were very much aware of him. He slapped me on the back, because I knew you were going to be a preacher. And I, I think I said, pastor, 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 not preacher. Because <laughs> I, I hated getting up in front of people. That was my story. There's lots of stories here of that. What's your story? Where did you give him everything? Now, those of you who have been married, you know, you get engaged, and you declare your intention, and you get married, you make a commitment in front of an altar, and you say, God, I make this vow, and then all of a sudden you find out your spouse isn't who you thought. And don't they know that the way they're doing things is not the way to do things. It could be as simple as how they fold socks. Or in my case, don't fold socks. They can't fold socks. My mom wound them into a ball. And um, we fold socks now because, because I learned it's just easier. And as you go along, I made a commitment to her to, at the altar. I take you as my wife, I will fold socks. But I didn't know I was going to fold socks. And there's a lot of things that come into your life that you don't know what that commitment means. There's more to it. And you're, we've been married, uh, it'll be... 40, 46, 45 years in June. She's going, okay, she's going, she wasn't, she had to count too. 45 years in June. And even this year, we are still learning things that we didn't know. And it takes commitment. And so the third step is the marriage step. John Wesley said it's like a marriage, a growing love. We are being transformed daily into the image of God. Let's go back to Romans 12, 2 this time. Now remember, 12, 1 said, Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is pleasing to God. And then he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will for us is to be holy as he is holy. And we make a commitment, and then, only then, do we really begin to grow. And so, let's say that you're like me, and when you made that commitment, you came to an altar, does that mean that, that you never have to renew that commitment? 
How many times have you had to renew in your mind your commitment to your spouse? Because they're not like you. They're not perfect. (laughs) Or you're not like them, and you're not perfect. And so John Wesley says "This this is progressive sanctification. Being transformed into the image of God day by day. Let your heart be renewed. Let your life be renewed. Don't conform any longer to the world. You know, getting rid of the conformity to the world is a lifelong process. And then the world changes, and you have to unconform to that. It just keeps on going. Don't conform any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, again, my story, not yours. Um, I came here as your pastor when I was 27. Uh, two years before, we had an evangelist, and he gave me a gift of a book called My Utmost for His Highest, a book written by a guy named Oswald Chambers, who I found out later he didn't write it. Uh, he spoke it. His wife was a legal secretary. He was with the YMCA in Africa during the First World War. He was from England, and he was a chaplain with the British forces in, in Egypt in World War I. And uh, he, was, he, was, he would, every day, he would have a time with his, with his men. And it grew to the hundreds that, of men and soldiers that would come every night. And he always wrote down just three, three things that he was thinking about that day. And his wife was the one that wrote all, took all the notes on this. And after his death, turned it into a devotional. My utmost for his highest. That transformed my life so much. And I, I followed that. I'm not, I've, I've read it so many times, I don't have it memorized, obviously. But I, that was part of my daily life for 20, more than 20 years. And even now, when I go back to that, that's, that for me was what brought that change, those changes. And um, what is it for you? You've got something, too. You see this period of progressive sanctification. So it comes down to this. Here's a story to kind of show you how this works. There were a group of women who were in a Bible study, and they were studying the book of Malachi, which most people don't study the book of Malachi. (laughs) It's in chapter 3 that they came across a verse that said, He, meaning God, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. they really didn't know what that meant because, you know, how many of us know anybody who's a silversmith? But one lady said, I want to find out. So she tracked down a silversmith. It was probably at, at one of these places where they, you know, they, like where they recreate old ways of doing things. And there was a silversmith, and she called him up and said, would you mind if I came by and just watch you? He said, sure. She didn't tell him why. And so she got there, and she watched him work, and he took a piece of silver, and he put it over the fire, and he let the fire heat it up, and then he explained that uh, in refining silver, he needed to hold it in the middle of the fire, at the very hottest spot, so that the impurities would rise up and come to the top and would be burned away. And then she began to think about where, where God said, 
he, or that said, he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. Have you ever been in the hottest? What are the hottest fires that you've been through? That's where God wants to purify, and even more. And so she continued to watch, and she asked him some more questions. And then she said to the silversmith, is it true that you have to sit there the entire time while the silver's being refined? He goes, oh, yeah. Remember, he sitteth at a, as a refiner of silver. That's what somebody said about God, Malachi. Is it true you have to sit there? Oh, yeah. Why? Because you have to know the exact time to pull the silver out of the fire. And you can only do that by staying there. And so she thought, God stays with us in those times. And then she said, well, how do you know when it's the right time to take it off the fire? He said, that's simple. When I can see my reflection in the silver. This Malachi was written a long time before Matthew. But you get the idea, that meant something to them more than it does to us. But God pulls us out of that time of purifying when he can see himself in us. Do not be trans or conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is good and pleasing to God. Well, I said all that to get a chance to say this. Remember earlier I talked about encouraging people who had been nominated? The way that we did church for so long was because we lived in a country who people actually, even if they didn't go to church, knew about God. And now the people who don't know about God, it's just far outweighs. Even the people who go to churches or a member of churches don't know about God sometimes. We are on a mission with God to the world. And if you go back all the way to the New Testament, the believers never waited for people to come to them. They went out. And you say, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You could also, you could legitimately say, I don't know how or what. That's probably true. That's okay. But you can. Because God goes with you. And you have been being shaped in his image and you're recreated and you're being transformed. And he never wants us to settle for him just for ourselves. We are sanctified to be cleaned up, to be of service in God's hands. And it's not that you're not being of service in here, but we can only reach our real potential when we love and minister and serve in here and everywhere. And I know that we do that, but the church 
in the United States has declined really a whole lot. And they're not coming back. We, uh, we're going to take in members next week into the church here, but a, a membership doesn't mean that we only do church when we're at church. In fact, you, can be, you don't have to be a member of a church. But, but, being, but being sanctified means that we, we don't have one day for God and six days for everything else. And you know that, and I know that. But when it comes to our life with church, sometimes we just don't know what to do. In the coming months, you're going to find your pastor will come and and he might not know exactly what to do. He doesn't know this community or everything, but you do know God and you do know what people need. Uh, there's a man that I, have, I grew to respect a whole lot. His name was Jim Kokenauer. And um, he was uh, in an early, one of the early churches that I did uh, when I was doing interim things. But I knew him before that. I'd actually met him when he was, uh, when some, some other things that I was at. And... Um, and then I had the chance to be his pastor for a while. Jim, by the time I was met in him, had passed on his legacy to his sons, although he was still there too. And here was Jim's legacy. He was raised, he was a Nazarene pastor's kid. He was raised in the church. Grew up to be a layman. And uh, on Saturday night at his local church where he was the Sunday school superintendent, somebody from the church called and was crying. He says, Jim, my husband's at the bar again. I don't know what's going to happen. He just goes there, and it's not good when he comes home for him. He just, he gets so racked up there. Can you go get him? And Jim said, okay. And inside he says, I've never been to a bar before. And he went. And then he kept going back. Because he found in that particular setting, there were lots of people who needed a man who was a friend of God to be their friend. And he went back, and he went back, and he went back, and he went back. His kids grew up. When I was their pastor, their interim pastor, it wasn't unusual. Jim Jr. and some others, they had put together a band, and they would go on Saturday night to play in the band, in the bars. But it wasn't unusual for them to get my attention, say, hey, pastor, come back here. We've got somebody that we want you to meet. This is a friend of mine. I knew where they met their friends. You say, would God go to a bar? God would never go to a bar for, strictly for his self-pleasure and to lose himself in alcohol. He would never do that. Would he go to a bar? You bet he would if there's people who are there who need God. Should I go to a bar? I don't know. That's your call and God's. But Jim went, and he went, and he went, and he went, and he went. He met a lot of people he had never met before. He had a, an amazing mind to manage things and to make things happen. And out of that meeting people at their deepest point of need for them, for him, it was at the bar, he developed in a county in the eastern part of Ohio this huge, compassionate ministry. 
that funnels millions of dollars every year from the community out to those needs. Because he saw the needs. Because he went where he said, I'll never go there. So I don't know where God's taking you. Ken has always been afraid that what would uh, people say of me if I went to the bar? And that's a legitimate fear. That's a legitimate fear because people love to find fault with pastors or maybe others. But the real thing that we fear is not going where God is leading us. So when we retire, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I'm not going to be the pastor of a church in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to live in a community that has lots of people as old and, as, and older than me, and some younger. I'm going to live where you can walk the streets in January. And we already know what we're going to do. We're just going to walk around our community and get acquainted. We've lived in Florida before, and everybody says, where are you from? And we'll say, we're from Ohio. They don't often ask what you did, and so if they don't ask, I won't tell them. Because when you get, from, I was a pastor, oh, oh, oh. I don't want to go, oh, oh. And we are going to just ask God, who, where, how? And just walk around our community and let God direct us. We've already started doing that in the past few years in our community, letting God direct us to people but we get a chance to do it like we've never done it before because I don't have to prepare sermons anymore. But what about you? What's your mission? Your pastor wants you to walk with him and God and others wherever that leads. And I don't think we can do that on our own power. People don't know what to do, and people don't like people telling them what to do. But you can do it with God. You can do it with God. It's God's will for us to be holy, to be cleansed on the inside, to be used in his service. Let's invite the worship team come and close the service this morning. i
We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. We pray, Lord, that we would marinate on the words that the pastor gave us today. Lay it on our hearts, Lord. Show us where you want us to be and what your will is for our life, Lord. And we go in peace, Father. We pray for each person that's here today. We pray, Lord, your will in their life. We pray, Lord, um, that you will be with us as we go out into the world and we shine your light. And uh, we just ask all of this in your most precious and holy name this morning. Amen. Go in peace.